We're continuing today in our Problem of God series based on the book by former atheist, now pastor, Mark Clark in Vancouver, and using this book and uh, uh, titles uh, by his, uh, with his permission. Uh, it's a series that answers uh, the challenges that skeptics have to Christianity, the kind of the main uh, challenges to the Christian faith. And if you're connecting today for the first time online, it's so great to have you with us. You can go to eaglemont.church to listen to the messages in this series that you've missed. Um, we started on Easter Sunday, April 12th. Today, the problem of hell. What the Bible says about hell is for some people, a hindrance for them embracing Christianity, particularly in our Western culture, as Mark Clark points out in his book. Uh, philosophy professor Dr. Peter Kreft says, uh, says this, of all the doctrines in Christianity, hell is probably the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. As a matter of fact, Charles Darwin points to this doctrine of hell as one of the significant reasons for his leaving the Christian faith. In the 2017 Perils of Perception Ipsos survey, uh, 38 Western nations were surveyed. Uh, in most of those countries, a minority of people expressed that they believe in hell. Uh, one of the few countries in this survey with a majority was the US, with 53% saying they believe in hell. Uh, in Canada, 28% only, according to that survey. Well, statistics may be interesting, but really they're inconsequential regarding whether hell exists or not. Uh, my belief does not determine the existence of or the non-existence of something that God says is an actual place and in fact uh, goes to great lengths to describe how terrible it is in, in hopes that no human being will choose to go there. And you heard me right, choose to go there. All of us in this life make that choice by virtue of our acceptance and embracing of Jesus Christ or our rejection of him. Uh, and please stay with me through to the end, uh, especially today. This is too serious a topic to hear only part of the message. Uh, another former atheist turned believer uh, C.S. Lewis, who's been quoted numbers of times in this series, wrote honestly, There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it were in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and our Lord's words, and it has the support, he says, of reason. Interesting. In other words, it's logical when we consider the existence of hell is logical when we consider the character of God's justice. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. But I have to say, it, it's not necessarily fun to talk about this subject. Uh, but my friends, we, we love you too much to not tell you what the Bible says about hell. And then from there, we all have to make the decision as to whether or not we're going to believe the Bible about this topic. And, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joel and Jaden did a tag team message on that very topic, the reliability of the Bible. And if you missed it, again, I encourage you to go to eaglemont.church and, and listen to that message. But you also need to know that it absolutely breaks God's heart uh, that people would enter an eternity of 
a complete isolation from him in a place of suffering called hell. And it should, uh, it should break the heart of every Christ follower as well. And so as we start today, I want to point out something that might surprise you. Jesus spoke much about hell in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we get most of our understanding about hell and about how terrible it is from the words of Jesus Christ. People often think uh, the, God of the, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, uh, Jesus. And yes, you heard me right, Jesus is God. And again, I refer to a previous message in this series called The Problem of Jesus back on April 12th. We talked about that a little more, and again, that's there for you to listen to. Uh, but, but some people think that the God of the Old Testament, he's harsh and he's angry, and uh, uh, Jesus in the New Testament is all about love and, and grace, and of course he is. But listen to Psalm 103, verse 8, ju as just one example, describing the God of the Old Testament, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. There's only one God. God in the Old Testament, yes, he hates and judges sin. Jesus in the New Testament also hates sin because of what it does in people's lives. He hates sin and he addresses sin very often and, and, and very directly. The difference is that in the New Testament, God's judgment and wrath for sin was put upon Jesus at the cross, which is God's amazing grace uh, shown to us. We need to remember that it's not unloving to warn people about what the Bible says regarding hell. As a matter of fact, it's the most loving thing that we can do. Jesus uh, spoke, as we've said, very much about hell, uh, very directly about the judgment that people will experience in hell. But no one would say that Jesus is not a loving and compassionate person. Listen to a few examples of Jesus' words in the New Testament about hell, uh, referring to those who do evil or who uh, reject his offer of grace. He says, Matthew 13, that they will be cast into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound good. And Matthew 25, Jesus' words, they'll go into everlasting punishment. Matthew 8, again, Jesus says that they will be cast into outer darkness, where, again, he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, words that depict torment. And in Matthew 25, verse 41, possibly Jesus' most important comment about hell, he's talking about the judgment of eternal fire, but says that that eternal fire, that place called hell, was prepared for the devil and his demons. There's an interesting backstory there. Or to that comment, there's, there's an interesting backstory, an important backstory to that comment that Jesus made. The Bible refers often to the devil, uh, Satan. Uh, he's not an imaginary figure, and yet not, he's, he's not what we see depicted so often uh, in a caricature. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in chapter 14, we read about an angel that God created in heaven named Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verse 12 says, How you are fallen, speaking of Lucifer, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. Well, that's an interesting comment, but that's the literal meaning of 
the, uh, Lucifer's name, shining star. And Lucifer says in verse 14 of uh, Isaiah 14, I will climb, this was his intent and plan, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. The very next verse, God speaks and says, ah, no. You will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest parts. You see, Lucifer was a, a beautiful creation of God originally, but pride entered his heart and, and he, was, uh, he was intending to overthrow God. Pretty silly. So God kicked him out of heaven along with a bunch of the angels that took Lucifer's side. And so God made this place of torment and sent the devil, sent Lucifer and his angels, now called demons, sent them there. God never, ever intended or wants humans, his human creation to go there. But that reality, that some will, is the outcome of the free will that God gave human beings when he created them so, so that their choice to love and obey him uh, would be genuine and would not be merely a, a pre-programmed robotic response like we talked about in the message on May 3rd in this series. It, 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 it breaks God's heart that people end up in hell because of their refusal to trust him as, as the forgiver of their sin and the leader of their life. And so Jesus, again, Jesus spoke about hell, but always from the perspective of uh, wanting his listeners to embrace his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life and experience uh, rescue from that awful place and, and rescue from uh, their sin and the eternal consequences of it um, in, in complete separation from their creator. I want to touch on some common responses to the idea of hell. Uh, for time's sake, I'll only touch on three of the four that Mark Clark talks about in his book. <clears throat> First response, hell is repulsive. And it is. I don't disagree with you. Someone might say, I don't like the idea of hell. Fair enough. But I would say that you need to be very careful. You need to be careful about choosing to believe or not believe in something, whatever it is, uh, especially hell, uh, based on whether you like it or not, whether you like the idea of it or not. Our, our, our like or, or dislike of something does not determine whether that thing is true or not or whether that exists or not. Silly little illustration here. I'm a 49er fan. I can hear the Seahawks now, yeah. Um, let me say this. As a 49er fan, I really dislike the Seattle Seahawks. And I would be... If that team did not exist, I, let's just say my life during football season would be much less stressful. Um, but I also know that my dislike of that team has zero bearing on whether that team exists or not. Like I said, silly illustration, but you get what I'm saying. I, I say this next statement respectfully. It is not logical for you to choose, if this is you, it's, it's not logical for you to choose disbelief in hell solely on the basis that you don't like the idea of it. 
you have nothing to prove that it does not exist, but there are the reliable and historically accurate recorded words of Jesus who said that hell exists. And so there again, we're left with the choice whether to believe the Bible and the words of Jesus or, or not. You know, it could be true that for some of you, uh, your position of disbelief in hell has something to do with, or maybe much to do, with a time in your past when, when you heard a preacher who appeared to even that, you know, that, that he took joy or, or that he, he, he liked the idea, took, took joy in the fact that people would be punished for their sin at some point in hell. And if that was your experience, I'm sorry about that. I, I truly am. But I would still say that it's not wise to stake your eternity on how some imperfect person came across to you at some point in your past. Second response, hell is unjust. It's, it's too heavy-handed, isn't it? Well, people generally in our world care about justice, and, and we even cry out against injustice, don't we? We do. We expect that if someone commits a crime, that they should be held accountable. Uh, yet. Some people, particularly in our Western world, question God's justice if he sends people to hell as punishment for sin and evil. And sin and evil dwells within all of us, the Bible says. So not just the, the bad, bad people. Mark Clark makes the case that for many people in the world, mostly outside our comfortable Western culture, he, he uh, observes, in places where people experience all kinds of terrible atrocities. For them, if God does not punish people for their sin, then he's not a God of justice and they question his character. Interesting observation. But in our Western culture, we, uh, we often try to come up with options rather than, rather than believing people will be punished in hell. And one of those options is something called universalism. Simply the idea that everybody gets into heaven. Eventually, everybody gets there to live in eternal bliss and peace. Well, that may sound, initially may sound loving, but for many in our world, that very idea raises the valid question, why would we worship a God who fails to uphold justice by not punishing evil? Clark makes the point strongly by saying, you know, Tell that to a husband and father who's just lost his 10-year-old daughter to sex slave traffickers and his wife raped and murdered by those same evil people. Everybody gets in? Are you kidding me? Not a chance. Where's the justice in that? Another created option intended to bypass this idea of hell is something called annihilationism. In other words, God will, uh, instead of allowing people to suffer in, in hell, he, he'll just annihilate them. They won't exist anymore. Easy out. I'd take that uh, rather than hell. And yet this is, is fairly easy to refute biblically because God created human beings with an eternal soul that, that consciously exists forever. In, in, in one of two places, 
Not to mention that idea, that whole idea of annihilationism violates the very value that God has given to human beings in terms of uh, him honoring their choice that each one of us make in this life that determines our eternal destiny. And again, we referred to that earlier, the choice of embracing Christ and his gift of eternal life or, or rejecting him and, and his gift. It's, it's really the, the blessing uh, or the curse of, of free will, uh, being free creatures as, as human beings as, as God made us. One of our church council leaders, his name's Wilder, he gave me permission to share this. I asked him if I could. Uh, he, said, he said it this way, hell is a personal choice that God will graciously but regretfully permit us if we choose. He says, it is the curse, curse of free will of which such a choice is one of only two logically derived imperatives. Wilder's smart. Well put. If God is truly just, then there is a hell. Does it make, it make us uncomfortable? Of course. Is it logical? Yes, it is. When you think about God's justice and his character. Something important in this discussion about God's justice that we must remember is that before sin ever entered our world through the decision of our first human parents, God, uh, God clearly and lovingly explained to Adam and Eve what the penalty would be if they chose to sin instead of obeying uh, their loving creator. And it's in Genesis 2.17, before sin existed, this is stated, God said to them, if you sin, you will die. Now, that, that was not a, a manipulative a threat. It wasn't an angry statement. It was a, a, a loving and factual warning that if Adam and Eve turned away from God's loving direction and instruction, uh, thinking they knew best, their relationship with God, their creator, would be fractured, would be broken, um, and, and death would be the result. And death here literally means separation. It speaks of a relational death and, and a spiritual death because, because they, weren't, they weren't connected to God, the source of life, anymore. They chose not to be by virtue of their uh, disobedience to God's loving and wise and fairly simple, I think, uh, instructions. And, and that spiritual death results in eternal death or eternal separation if there's no restoration of the relationship between us and God. And, and, and for us, the restoring of that relationship with God comes again through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead by God's power if we choose to trust him and surrender to him. So, hell is repulsive, hell is unjust. Uh, the third response to the idea of hell uh, that is often heard is, isn't hell overkill? I mean, here, the struggle with hell being an eternal punishment for someone who lived uh, and, and sinned for a much briefer period of time, 70 or 80 years. And yet, think about it from the standpoint of the court of law. A sentence in the court of law is not meted out based on how long it took the person to commit the crime, but rather on the weightiness 
of the offense. And that's what we don't, as human beings, completely understand, nor I don't think we can fully. It, it, here's where our, our lack of understanding comes in regarding two areas, two things. First of all, the, the, how, how holy and perfect God is and, and what his standard is. God's holiness and his perfect moral character. And secondly, we don't fully understand how, how heinous our sin is from the perspective of a holy God. Pastor Greg Gilbert, who's a part of the uh, uh, Gospel Coalition, uh, writes, the doctrine and reality of hell actually helps us to understand just how great God really is and how sinfully wretched we really are. Strong word, but, but accurate. How great God is and how sinfully wretched we really are and how amazing it is that God would show us grace at all. So true. If, if we truly grasped uh, the holiness, the perfect character of God, and, and also how terrible our sin is, we would move forward in our understanding of this biblical idea of hell. Also, regarding this uh, hell is overkill response, Clark points out that we're mistaken if we think that uh, when people end up in hell that they suddenly stop sinning. Uh, one of our PAOC global workers that Eaglemont family helps to support, uh, Stefan Shosh, uh, he's done a lot of research in, on, on this topic and gave me uh, uh, a, a good amount of it. And uh, uh, he, again, gave me permission to share this. He writes uh, and says this, people don't go to hell and then never sin forever and just get punished forever. They go to hell and keep on sinning forever. Maybe you've never thought of that before, but it totally makes sense. We, we, don't, we don't see in the Bible uh, any indication that once people are in hell, that they cease their uh, sinful thinking or behavior or, or heart posture of, of sin or, or rebellion. And so in light of this, hell isn't overkill. Not to mention that if, if hell is not eternal, then neither is heaven. And Jesus spoke about this and he made the differentiation between the two. Uh, Matthew 25, 46, Jesus spoke about those who rejected his offer of grace and said they go away to uh, everlasting punishment and that his followers who have trusted in his grace and received his forgiveness uh, enter into eternal life, both eternal everlasting. You see, God's judgment always upholds the concepts of love and justice. And those two things are not, not mutually exclusive. Two final thoughts before we land this plane. And, and I recognize there's a lot that I am not touching on in this message. I'd encourage you to go online and purchase the, the Problem of God book by Mark Clark. Or you can email me at uh, marlo at eaglemontchurch.ca and I'll send you a couple of our articles that I used as a resource as well in this message. Um, but two further points, very briefly. First, if you didn't pick up on it already, hell is horrific. It, it, it really is. The, the words of the New Testament that describe what hell is like, and again, most of those come from Jesus, and we've uh, highlighted some of those. Hell is an existence of, of hopelessness and complete isolation. 
Hell is not where the party continues. It, it is not. There, there will sadly be many there, but the biblical reality is that they will all be completely alone in the spiritual and emotional pain of, of being so aware that for eternity they are completely separated from the God who created them and, and who wanted to be for them the giver of, of all good things. But they didn't open their heart to receive. Hell is horrific. And secondly, hell, we've said this already, but hell is a choice. It really is. A hundred years ago, English uh, philosopher and theologian G.K. Chesterton said, Hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, says it well. There are only two kinds of people. L listen to this. This is really good. Helpful, I think. There are only two kinds of people. Those who in this life say to God, Thy will be done and those to whom God in the end will say, thy will be done. Lewis continues, all those who are in hell chose it. They enjoy the horrible freedom which they have demanded. Well put. But my friends, there's good news. That's, that's what the word gospel means actually. There's good news. The Apostle Paul, a guy who wrote about half of the New Testament, he wrote a, a, a little letter to uh, the church in a city called Thessalonica. And uh, Apostle just, just means, that was his title, uh, it means sent one. And, and he was sent after meeting Jesus Christ himself personally. He was sent with good news. And he wrote about it often in the New Testament, this good news of grace and forgiveness and, 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 and reconnection with God our Creator by, by God's grace and, and not having to depend on my effort for that. Paul wrote a lot about that. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 about Jesus. He's referring to Jesus as the one who has, here it is, rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Powerful, poignant words. Uh, rescued us, who's he referring to? Christ followers, those who have chosen to follow and trust in Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus was driven by his love for you. Jesus was driven to the cross by his love for you and his desire to have you with him for all eternity. I hope you hear that, my friends. You see, the, the, the love and the justice of God collided beautifully at the cross where Jesus took upon himself God's judgment for our sin so that we could go free, so that we could live free here and now, and we could live free eternally under, or live now under his loving care freely and live eternally in his presence in heaven. He wants you there. He does. But, but there's a problem. For all of us. The Bible says we've all sinned. And sin is a problem because it's sin that keeps us distant from God. It, and even there, it's not so much what we do. It's the nature we have. It's, it's who we are, sinful, by virtue of what we've received, inherited by, from our first human parents. And that's, that's another discussion. But here's the reality. 
There's a way out by God's grace. I want you to listen to two verses. Same guy, apostle, Paul, uh, wrote to the, the Christians in the city of Rome. In, in, in two very important New Testament verses that describe for us what is available to us in the grace of Jesus and, and being able to spend eternity with him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, or the, the result of sin, is death. That separation for eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is the answer, and what he did on the cross is the answer to the sin problem that keeps every one of us from knowing God and walking in relationship with him now and spending eternity with him forever. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 is clear when it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved, kind of a misused word a lot of times today. It just simply means saved from our sin, saved from the consequences of our sin in this life and certainly in eternity. Saved from what we've been talking about today. For it is, in verse 10 of Romans, uh, of Romans 10, for it is, with your mouth, or sorry, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That's just a legal term that means put in right standing, put in right relationship with. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What's keeping you from doing that today, from placing your life, your eternity, and your trust in Jesus Christ and receiving his grace and forgiveness and his gift of eternal life, that's, that's free. Otherwise, we couldn't use the word gift. You don't have to suffer under the weight of your sin, nor the eternal judgment for it, because Jesus stepped in for you and took the penalty of your sin and, and my sin for me upon himself so that we could be saved from the eternal punishment of complete and eternal isolation from our loving creator. He doesn't want that. If you want to make that life-changing and, and eternity-shaping, eternity-altering decision today to trust Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life and choose to be a Christ follower today, pray with me like this. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming willingly and going to the cross for me to take upon yourself the punishment for sin that belonged to me, but you chose to step in for me so that I could live eternally with you in heaven. Thank you for that gift of grace and the gift of your life. I surrender to you. I ask you, forgive my sin. I turn from it. I turn to you, O oh God, in relationship, in expressing a desire to know you and walk with you and live with you. Thank you for the gift of heaven that I can have the assurance of right now and that it doesn't depend on my performance. I thank you for that grace that you offer. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your gift of grace. I receive your gift of eternal life now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and chose to trust Jesus, um, I would love to hear that. 
I would love to hear about that. And you can let me know by texting Jesus to the number on the screen. Um, we, we, we just want to help. Uh, thank you for trusting us with your, with your contact information. We just want to get some resources into your hands that will help you uh, establish and deepen your new relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, also, uh, for, for anyone uh, watching right now, if you want prayer uh, for any reason, uh, about anything, please text the word prayer to the number you see below and someone from our prayer team will be more than happy to touch base with you and pray with you over the phone um, at any time. So God bless you. Have a great week. And join us next, uh, next week online, live streaming again, 10 to 10. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.